Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager here at BlackBot and your host for this nonprofit technology podcast. This is episode 18 for October 29th, 2008. And it's event season here at BlackBot and everywhere else for that matter, so I thought it might be a good time to talk about that. Today we're looking at how nonprofits can effectively raise funds through online events and probably talk a little bit about our own conference, which is coming up in a couple weeks. But before we kick things off, I'd like to introduce the panel. Joining us today is Melanie Mathos, our Public Relations Manager here at BlackBot. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chad. You can find Melanie at uh, blackbot.com slash blackbotnews or twitter.com slash melmathos. And back for the last time, possibly, is uh, Jamie Holiday, our Internal Communications Coordinator and SharePoint Guru. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chad. Jamie, I think, is leaving the company in a couple of weeks, but uh, there's no reason you can't be back on the show. Sad but true. Completely. That's with the beauty of Skype. Yes. Nice. Good. Well, you can uh, keep following her at twitter.com slash mebegirl. And uh, joining us today for the first time is Mark Davis, the Vice President of Technical Sales at BlackBot Cantera Division. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks, Chad. Glad Mark, to be here. Yeah, great. Great to have you. Uh, Mark is a uh, online events guru, so he's here today to talk to us a little bit about how nonprofits can effectively raise funds online. So... We'll go ahead and get right into that. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke at our NetWits live event out in Portland and got to meet Mark and hear a little bit about raising money through online events. So I thought, you know, your presentation was really cool because it covered seven commonly asked questions about raising money and sort of how people can deal with that. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, you spoke about why people give money to online event websites. And I've certainly seen this firsthand by participating in the Heart Walk. And as my friends all seem to jump at the chance to give a little to the cause, uh, why are these events so attractive to people? Sure. Um, actually... When we originally designed Friends Asking Friends, which is now actually coming in on its about ninth year of use uh, in terms of internet fundraising, we actually spent a lot of time looking um, at kind of the psychological reasons why individuals give to these fundraising events. And we did our best to build technology uh, and build a solution uh, leveraging internet, uh, what at that point was still kind of emerging internet technologies around uh, person-to-person solicitation and kind of web community tools to really cultivate those psychological reasons why people give. Some of them are very basic uh, now at this point, but actually, you know, taking a look at some eight, year, eight nine years ago, uh, we were building out and uh, coming up with Web 2.0 technology before Web 2.0 was even a term that was used. So some of those reasons why, why individuals give, uh, number one, and it's really kind of basic, but is they're, they're at, they're, they give because they're asked by a friend. Right. And I think that's, that's the um, what I always kind of describe and talk about uh, online event fundraising. I always kind of view that as the, as the real engine around friends asking friends technology. Technologies and and obviously when you're talking about the internet, the concept is to use email as a, as a solicitation tool. And anyone who's ever participated in an event, one of the most difficult parts is getting up the guts or getting up the the motivation to actually go ask a friend, ask a family member, ask a colleague around work to actually pull out their checkbook and write a check to you. The nice thing about email is you don't actually have to face the person because <laughs> we all hate asking people for money, right. uh, and you don't have to uh, spend the time to like write a letter. I mean, who writes a letter anymore? What we've found is that email is a, uh, is a quick way to do it, and it's actually a very effective way. Um, I think some of the data shows that when an individual receives an email from a friend asking them for a donation for one of these events, over 60% of them are opened, which is an extremely high uh, open rate, and um, about 25% of them actually result in a donation. 
So are we seeing an increase in this type of giving as opposed to traditional methods, like just via regular campaigns and, and direct mail and things like that? Sure, sure. Um, you know, the data is the, the data is uh, all, all, all around the place. But uh, when you take a look at organizations like, for instance, AIDS Walk uh, New York 2008, who's been uh, who originally launched their site on Kintera back in 2002 and have since continued to be on Kintera since then. They started off with um, less than 15% of their donations coming online, and that's that's about normal, actually. When we when we right. when we uh, when we bring on an event for the first year, we typically you know tell them to expect about 15% to come online, and that's just kind of natural. But through uh, repetition of the event being online, through their uh, instituting best practices, uh, th- through the help uh, from, uh, from, from BlackBot, they've actually now surpassed over 60-70% of their funds actually being brought online, which is, uh, which is more than made up for the drop in offline. Uh, transactions. So overall, the event is raising more money, and the, as a proportion, uh, most of the money now is coming online. And uh, I think uh, that's AIDS Walk New York is one example. However, we're seeing that with multiple organizations now in their fourth or fifth year that seems to be a kind of a turning point at which uh, organizations actually start uh, raising a majority of their money online. Wow. Mark, how can you engage people after the fact? So they've given, they might have given because a friend asked them, how do you communicate to them to kind of keep them engaged with the organization, not just through this event? Sure, and that, that's, that's actually uh, when we first started um, implementing uh, Friends Asking Friends, you know, the idea and the concept was always just acquisition. It's, it's finding a, uh, a better way to uh, grow online fundraising and, and to acquire uh, as many donors as possible. Um, however, most organizations and most event coordinators you speak to, their, their number one issue is always retention. And the thought process always has been and continues to be for most event organizers is the day after the event, it's the time to rest. You know, and they go into a coma for three months. And you don't do anything. You don't even want to talk about the event. You don't care about – well, you care. But you don't, you don't really want to spend the opportunity because you just spent the past six months uh, you know, pouring in your blood, sweat, and tears into this event. And now you don't even want to think about it. However, with the Internet and, and with the fact through email communications and the website, there are much easier ways to cultivate their donors. Most enterprising organizations that we're working with now, and AIDS Walk is certainly one of them that I've already mentioned, but other organizations like Lance Armstrong Foundation have started to build uh, programs using the Internet to automate a lot of the um, – uh, stewardship and cultivation. When you when you take a look at a donor that's coming in online, there's a couple of things that you see. First of all, they're usually new to the organization. So actually, some studies have shown that over 90% of individuals who come through a friends asking friends to donate to an event have never participated, never supported the organization to begin with. Number two is. Uh, for the most part, their affinity is towards a friend. It's not towards not towards the organization. And in fact, it's 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 first the affinity towards a friend and the message. Second, it's towards the event, and third, it's towards the organization. So so it's pretty easy to answer your question. It's pretty easy for the event coordinator to once they have that email address, the individual makes a donation, to you know thank them for supporting the event. Right. So that's that's first and foremost is automated thank yous. Uh, telling them about you know how the event was successful. The key point and the kind of the quote unquote holy grail is to get the individual to go from that 
uh, affinity towards the event to affinity towards the organization. And one organization in particular who I think is doing this very successfully is Lance Armstrong Foundation. So uh, if you go to Lance Armstrong Foundation, they have four main events they run every single year, and these are their marquee events. At the end of each event, they start directing all of their donors and their participants to a mylivestrongchallenge.org website, which uh, they use the same login uh, that they've used on their event uh, to register and to participate in an online uh, website to do message boards, communicate to other participants, other donors after the event. And it's also a communication channel by which uh, Lance Armstrong Foundation uh, sets these individuals up, these donors, to sign up for online newsletters, to ultimately cultivate them and bring them over to become uh, not only event participants and donors, but also supporters of the organization as, as a whole. Just a quick question on that. Sure. As somebody who I gave to my friend for the Lance Armstrong organization, then I get this email, what's drawing me into their network? Because it seems like I would still need like some sort of pull after I've given my you know little donation to to want to join the network is do you, are you finding it's because their friends are joining or is it just because they're like oh sure I can do that there's just there's two steps to the process first step is the organization needs to be really keen on customer service during the event so the idea uh, in the most successful organizations um, who do this have dedicated customer support. They, they make sure that the individual, whether they're donating or participating, has a very positive experience uh, around that event. And that's very important because mm-hmm. that, that builds that connection at that second layer beyond just a friend and the team that that person is participating to to the event. Now, to make that connection from the event to the organization, uh, they want to build on that positive customer service. So what we've seen is um, uh, literally immediately after the event, a best practice is to you know give them fundraising results, tell them and thank them about, hey, the event was a success, and then immediately offer them opportunities to participate in other ways. So a good example with Lance Armstrong Foundation is there, you know, Lance and the team is constantly looking to increase research grants uh, by the U.S. government for cancer research. So one of the very common ways uh, that Lance Armstrong Foundation does to um, engage these participants is to send them an email that says, well, thank you for your donation. Here are some other ways that you can support Lance Armstrong Foundation and, and continuing it through the online channels because mm-hmm. it's easy for these individuals to do so and you've got this email communication. So to send them a link to the advocacy site, invite them to join uh, what they've done is they've, they've created a group of people called Live Strong Army. And Live Strong Army is essentially just their, their online uh, group of participants, registered supporters who span across the events, advocacy, Anyone who purchases a wristband, these are all online communities that they, that they um, cross-promote. So if you're participants, you're being promoted to, to support them through advocacy for an advocate. You're being uh, you know, promoted to support them to, to the next event. And constantly having and giving these individuals additional steps and opportunities to support the organization in different ways. So, um, and then by the time, six months later, when the coma is done, Right, and the individual saying, "All right, the event participants like, all right, we got to start planning for the first event in 2009." You you have an, you have individuals who've already perhaps taken an additional two or three actions and engaged with the organization. And what we found consistently is that participant and donor retention rates get much higher, uh, which which will make them they're, they're, they become repeat donors, repeat participants, which usually means they give more the second and third years they participate in the same event. So if you offer it, they will give. Yes. <laughs> Sounds so easy. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it does sound so does sound so easy, but we actually spent a lot of time working with the organizations to build out communication strategies. So so while friends asking friends implies that it's just a bunch of people emailing each other, the reality of it is successful uh, friends asking friends events is actually driven by communications from organizations to the participants. And uh, I'll give you an example. On average, kind of the best practices is to send to your, you should send about 22 emails over the course of your event to your participants. That that's on average. And actually, wow. AIDS Walk New York is one example. They actually build a a, a very ro- uh, at the beginning of every single year. They they put a big calendar up on the wall, and they map out what their 22 emails are going to be. And it's you know this this month we're going to send this communication. This month they're going to be sending these two communications. And every single week they're they're hitting their participants to either recruit or to promote some sort of uh, prize or some sort of competition to get them to go back to the website and to use the tools that they've been set up for on the website. So clearly to be successful, this is not a case of throw it out in the world and your constituents will do all the work for you and you don't have to worry about it. It is definitely not build it and they will come. It is not. I mean, you will get a a kind of a natural, and we've seen organizations that, that will have a kind of a natural migration if they just put the website up, people will register online. But there are kind of metrics that we see in terms of actual event participation. And on average, across all the board of all of our events, about 15% of participants will actually you know, actively use the system. However, with uh, some additional training, really just kind of getting out, engaging your team captains, engaging your participants, actively providing tools to help them say, how do I use these tools? Organizations like AIDS Walk and Lance Armstrong Foundation, which who I keep mentioning, but another one is Big Brothers Big Sisters of America, and they're both for kids' sake, will push that 15% to 40%, 60%. The data clearly shows that events who can beat that threshold of 15% fundraise much more much more successful online than those who uh, you know, linger below that 15%. You mentioned the, the 22 emails. Are there any other hard metrics that people can sort of look at to achieve? You know, percentage of participants giving, you know, just any kind of other data points? Sure. There's, there, there's actually quite a lot. I've already mentioned a few of them. But to kind of give you uh, some off the, off the top, top of my head, you've got uh, on average a kind of a target would be 15% of participants uh, using the systems actively. And, and on average, an individual who actually uses the system uh, will send about uh, 22 emails. Uh, actually, we've seen that increase, but I'm using 22 as kind of an average across all eight years. Actually, last year, it's actually hitting about, about 27, 28 as the, right. as the use of the system uh, goes over. But we, we like to use 22 because it's an average across all eight years. So that's 22 emails sent by the average participant. And, and as I said, studies have shown that usually 90% of those individuals are, are new to the organization. They don't know the organization before. So that, that's a real key, key piece. About one in four of those emails will result in a donation. If you take a look at uh, average gift amounts, that's about uh, $50 has kind of been our average gift amount uh, in terms of online donations. That means that every single time an, an individual sends an email, that's worth about $12.50 to the organization to the event. So, so usually when we're, when we're talking to event coordinators and administrators, we try to highlight the fact that there's a direct correlation to people using the system 
and you know money really to the event. And uh, usually that's an eye opener. But the data has been pretty consistent over eight years. Individual sends an email, it's worth about twelve dollars fifty cents. And uh, I'll be frankly, I'll, I'll put that up against any direct mail <laughs> ROI. Yeah, uh, and the ROI is is, is pretty strong. An- another one that that we highlight uh, quite a bit is when you take a look at in the same within the same event the fundraising success of a participant using the system versus not using the system. And and the data has been pretty consistent that individuals using Friends Asking Friends, these participants, raise about six times more. And it's and I think the thing that's interesting in the data when we take a look at it, it's not just online donations. Actually they raise more offline as well. Because an email being sent to grandma who's never going to put her credit card online is actually still going to get a check. Uh, and what will happen is that you'll send an email to broader people because, remember, it's easier for people to send right. an email rather than pick, make a phone call or write a letter. Yeah. Take all of your address books, take all of your coworkers and send them that email, and you know they have to respond because otherwise they, you know, it's guilt. Right. <laughs> you mentioned ROI too quickly. You know, obviously we're facing uh, you know, a pretty heavy recession coming up here. So is this something that nonprofits can look to as a way to be you know, more effective from an ROI perspective for raising money? I mean, is this typically cheaper than uh, doing things you know, on the ground or via direct mail or a phone-a-thon or something like that? Yeah, and, and I think um, uh, one number that, that, that we've used, because there's, there's obviously costs associated with, with transactions, but uh, on average, the ROI is basically $10 for every dollar invested. And that, that's, that's been pretty consistent. So we take take a look at the cost for the software, uh, for the software, you know, the cost for setting it up, the cost for training. Uh, usually, it's about a, a, t- a ten to one ROI. Right. Is that going to be in the first year, or are they going to have to use it a couple of years to see that sort of ROI? I think the first year is going to be a little bit, a little bit higher because typically the way that. Most organizations use the system is that they spend a lot more time the first year in setting it up, getting their feet wet, understanding how to use these tools, understanding and preparing. Like, for instance, AIDS Walk New York, you know, they spend a lot of time. They literally have – you go to the website, they have over 75 tips and tricks. And there's, there's one in particular that's really interesting that's um, – they put a checklist of all the people you should talk to, you know, to for the participants. And it starts off with mom, dad, brother, sister. And by the end, and it's a full page, it's hairdresser dog walker, <laughs> vacuum salesperson, right? And it's, you know, it's humor, but it kind of, it kind of, um, the work that was put in to AIDS Walk uh, was obviously done over the years, but now uh, they can reuse and repurpose that every single year. Maybe they add a few tips and tricks and some fun little uh, uh, games competition. But you are right. It, you know, the ROI uh, kind of evens out over a couple of years. It does get easier as the years progress. Cool. This is all really good stuff. Um, so what's on the horizon for online events? Like uh, what sort of new sort of paradigms are coming into play? What sort of new technology is going to affect this? Sure, sure. Um, you know, one of the uh, – there's, there's a few things. Uh, so technology and kind of use. Blackbaud has expanded beyond just a standard – Thon type of events, right? The walkathons, bowlathons. I mean, we've got an organization that does pianothons, whatever that is. <laughs> Any type of thon thing you can think of, uh, team-based fundraising, corporate-based fundraising event. Uh, we've we've actually run about twenty-eight thousand of those over the past eight years. What we're seeing now are uh, it's, 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 it's a growth of a couple of areas. It's a lot of virtual events, not necessarily new. Because uh, we, I think our first virtual event was about four years ago. But since then, uh, a lot of organizations are are adopting outside of physical events, you know. And and I think one of the benefits of that is low cost. Right. So that ROI is actually higher. Now you might not 
there's one group uh, in particular. What I'm going to say is, you might not necessarily see the same level of success as you would in a physical event, right. but nonetheless, due to the low cost and due to the low risk, I've always consulted and when I talk to organizations, try it out. Yeah. Um, so enterprising organizations who have been trained and use the system, maybe they've been using physical events. Um, oftentimes, they'll just use the tool, set up an event really quickly, and uh, there's real no hard cost to the event. That it's you know it's essentially you know revenue with with uh, with very little event cost. It's probably a great way to target like millennials and Gen Y and stuff as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So so whether it's targeted to youth or, or targeted to your athletes, who maybe want to support you. But not necessarily support you for an event you're putting on. So a really good example is you know like uh, marathons, Boston, New York Marathon. Uh, every you know every single year, uh, our friends at um, uh, New York City Multiple Sclerosis, uh, they put up websites for their people who are participating in the New York Marathon, who also participate in their walk and marathon events that are sponsored by MS, but to be able to fundraise while they're participating in a non-organization-sponsored event, such nice. as the New York Marathon. Very cool. these, these, we, we call these independent fundraising events, or IFEs. And uh, this seems to be catching on the past couple of years because you, you provide tools for your supporters who are participating in some sort of event uh, to raise money on your behalf and just raise the money. And what the organizations are doing is that they're setting these, these websites up in the online tools Promoting it to their supporters and say, "Hey, if you're if you're running in an event, if you've got a bake sale, if you've got a golf event, you've got a barbecue event, local barbecue event, or if you're participating in any one of these walks, set up a page, invite your friends and family to support you, and the money and the proceeds will all go through. They route through the same processing, and the checks get written directly to the organization." And uh, these individuals, uh, we've actually seen a, v- a very strong growth in terms of um, these independent fundraising events the last couple of years. But from a technology perspective, Chad, one of the areas that, that we are starting to see some growth in is, is expanding this, the networks that are being built on these event fundraising sites uh, across to Facebook okay. and other social networking applications such as uh, MySpace. So um, we, we launched gadgets and widgets about two, three years ago now that allows for an individual to copy and paste an honor roll or a, you know, a, a th- an event thermometer on top of their MySpace page so they can actively promote to all of their social network uh, friends, that, you know, the friends off their, their tr- more other social right. networks to d- redirect them back to their personal web pages they've been set up for the Friends Asking Friends. Uh, similar, we've, we've got a Facebook app. Uh, as well that uh, feeds directly into events. Uh, so we're starting to see some growth and some expansion of taking the Friends Asking Friends tools and expanding it out to other social networks through these uh, these connections uh, through gadgets and widgets. Nice. Very exciting. All right. Uh, one thing that I thought of that we could possibly mention, they just finished the NPR fundraising drive like on Tuesday, which drives me nuts every year because they interrupt my news for fundraising drive. <laughs> but this year they did something really interesting. They had Ira Glass calling up people who should be donating but aren't. Like their friends and family turned them into NPR Ooh, and said, my mom listens all the time and ah. brought me up on NPR and she never gives and I do and you should call her. And Ira <laughs> Glass, like would, they actually played it on the radio. He would call them and say... 
you know, your daughter tells us that you're a big supporter. And every single one, they were like, I'm going to donate right now. I am so embarrassed. I can't even believe that you had to call me to make me donate. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's really effective. But it just made me wonder, are they going to donate next year when you're not calling them? Like, is it enough to, to get them to be repeats? Yeah, I'd be interested to see what the results are there. But I like the idea. It reminds yeah. me of that. Uh, one of those things that you saw when we were kids where you could like, They'd come and get you, and they'd like lock you up somewhere, and then like, someone had to pay to get you out. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah the you're from the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> peer pressure giving. I like yeah. it. <laughs> like it's not peer to peer. It's right. peer pressure right. giving. Yeah. <laughs> there was one guy in a Starbucks that Ira Glass was like, "I'm feeling bad because this guy's like sweat is breaking out on his forehead because he is just so nervous <laughs> about not giving to NPR." Well, it makes so. me wonder too. I mean, you see, like. My big thing this morning is I'm just blown away by the the campaign viral videos and stuff. Right. Especially the Barack Obama loss by a narrow margin of one attributed to you. (laughs) And you can send it to all your friends. Is that the next step in online event fundraising? (laughs) Well, it could be sort of an evolution of the sort of the widgets and gadgets you were talking about where, you know, you see a thermometer today and the next thing you know, it's an interactive, you know, YouTube video that you're actually putting data into and, and messing around with. Yeah, I mean, the, the viral fundraising, you know, we've, we've actually done, I mean, the viral videos and um, produced viral videos, we've, we've, we've actually had quite a lot of experience on that as well. A lot of it has to do with the, the politics and the advocacy space. And, and one of them was, I remember one time, you know, regardless of whether or not you're, which aisle you're on, we had um, the Republican survivor. Okay. And it was uh, for the 2004 election. And uh, every single week, it was a it was a flash video that was built, and you had Condoleezza Rice and Dick Cheney okay. and George Bush and all of the kind of the the, the elites and the Republicans, and they're all um, in these produced videos. And every single week, they would do some sort of comedy. It was about a five minute little sketch, flash video sketch. And at the very end, you watched the video, you got to vote who got pulled off for the next week's nice. session. And you know, right after you voted, uh, you must send this off to you know five to ten friends, and uh, that was done for the D Triple C. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I sort of think that you know, we're sort of past the phase of just people sending around videos. I like the idea of like a video that does something. Like again, you, you talked about the voting. Melanie was talking about this interactive video where you're you're actually putting in data and adding in your name, and mm-hmm. I think that gets people a little more involved and they have something to do rather than just watch. Yeah, one of them actually you're interested in one of, one of the uh, one of the ones we've done for the events was a Lance Armstrong Foundation built uh, this mixer tool, and it's actually still live on their site, their Livestrong Mixer, and what it does it allows you to build a custom music video. So they had a couple of uh, music. It's a flash piece. It allows you to basically drag and drop your own event photos, maybe some Ooh, video cool. that's been posted by Lance, and a couple of um, MP3 files. And you overlay them, and the system builds basically a custom music video that's around your participating in one of the Lance Armstrong Foundation uh, events. And there's always a viral aspect of that. So once you build it, you, you save it, and then you send it off to five or ten of your friends. And uh, they've had a lot of success with that as well. Cool. All right, moving on. Uh, we got our conference coming up in a couple of weeks. Is everybody getting excited to attend? Yeah. You're speaking this year, Mark, right? I am. Yeah, yeah. You t- assume you haven't attended before as a spy or anything? No, I haven't attended. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking forward to it. I love hearing uh, Sean's session on emerging tech. Definitely check that out. Um, he gets very excited. Yes, and it's good stuff, too. Usually uh, we always record it, but then we're never allowed to release it. So, <laughs> um, so that's the key that there's very good stuff in there. Um, what about you, Jamie? Are you excited to see any of the sessions? I am. I'm looking forward to June Bradham's session, Story-Driven Board, Creating Leaders, Storytellers, and Champions. Um, she's a very cool lady that I actually just met. Um, we were thinking about collaborating on an AFP session, 
and uh, your board is just so important to fundraising. And that's what I hear from my friends who work at nonprofits. I'm like, well, does your board give? And they're like, well... So that's going to be a very cool session. Nice. And Mark, you're giving your session that we just kind of, a lot of the material we just discussed, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a good preview, I think, for the audience to, to come check that out for sure. Melanie, what was that stat you uh, threw out on Twitter earlier today about uh, how many minutes of uh, sessions was it? 8,264.2 or something? <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, it's, it's .6. Yeah, right. Definitely jam-packed schedule this year. Yeah, and, a lot of content. you know, incorporating a lot more of our industry partners and customers. We have probably about 60 customers speaking at this year's that's conference. Fantastic. So and also, you know, Peter Thumb, our keynote, who is the head of Ethos Water, now VP at Starbucks. So it'll be great to hear about his vision and how he kind of broke into the charitable and profitable business model. Very cool. Well, speaking of BlackBot things, uh, Melanie, uh, do we have any BlackBot news we'd like to dish out this week? Well, results from BlackBot Europe's State of the Not-for-Profit Industry Survey were recently presented at the International Fundraising Congress in the Netherlands. And with more than 450 respondents, their survey was actually administered in multiple countries this year for the first time. And the full report is available for download at blackbot.co.uk. Speaking of BlackBot Europe, they recently held the Conference for Nonprofits in London on October 20th and 21st, and 80 sessions were presented to more than 260 attendees. And like you said, next up is BlackBot's conference. Um, We're looking forward to seeing more than 1,200 attendees this year from all over the world. Uh, Last year, I think the farthest travel was from... Japan, maybe? Possibly. It sounds about right. Yeah, he pulled it overnighter, and I got to interview him the next morning. It was great. (laughs) If you can't make it to the event this year, you can keep up with conference content and happenings at blackbaud.com slash conference blog, where we will be posting key articles, news, and updates. In other news, BlackBot was recently named to Forbes magazine 200 Best Small Companies in America list. Rankings are based on a number of factors, including sales and profit growth. The company was ranked number 73 and was included in the list for the third consecutive year. In addition, Software Magazine recently released its annual ranking of the world's largest software and service suppliers. <laughs> BlackBod rose to number 137 this year and has been included in the list now for more than a decade. BlackBod's San Diego-based Cantera division recently ranked number 18 by Deloitte & Touche on their San Diego Technology Fast 50 list. Very cool. And companies are selected for this list based on their percentage revenue growth over five years from 03 to 07. You can read more about the rankings at the BlackBod News blog, blackbod.com slash blackbodnews. All right, very good stuff. Usually we do shout-outs here. Um, I just thought I'd mention a couple things. We have a uh, social web guide that's coming out for the conference, just speaking of the event, where not only do we, we talk about the blog, but uh, how we're using the forums. And this year, we're going to be using a lot of uh, social media type uh, sites like Twitter, um, Flickr, Delicious, and a little bit of Facebook. So check out the blog for that. We'll have a post at uh, the conference blog soon where you can download a one-page PDF, and it's got a bunch of great short URLs. So we're really going to be able to get everybody's content together into one place. So I think it's going to be a great way to keep up with the conference. Also, I'll have a couple of blog posts coming out over the next couple of weeks that are sort of previews of my session at the conference. So be on the lookout for that. Mark, what do you have? You had an article published recently, I heard, in a Fundraising Success. Uh, yeah, actually, it uh, it's a prescriptive article, uh, especially with the economic downturn. What we wanted to do is we wanted to give uh, some some really quick tips on how to make uh, you know how to make the most out of your online event fundraising, especially as uh, you know setting up for the spring fundraising events is where most people are actually doing their planning. And uh, I got to tell you, the first and foremost uh, suggestion was to get your website up six months before your event, which yeah, right. uh, for your spring events, you're about running out of time. Right. Uh, six months is about coming up. So that was uh, published. It's called Making the Most Out of Your Online Fundraising Efforts. Cool. Sounds great. 
Jamie, any famous last words? Famous? No. <laughs> probably probably not famous, but as always, I enjoyed coming and talking with all of you, and I will miss it in the future. Nice. I'm sure uh, SharePoint will miss you as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Melanie? Well, BlackBaud Net Community uh, Developers Contest is Ooh. closing this week, so we have to make sure everyone gets their apps uploaded at blackbaudlabs.com. All right. I was hoping Steve would be. Have you seen any of the entries? Yeah, we've gotten quite a few really interesting ones, so it'll, it'll be exciting. The results will be announced at the conference, and they will all be posted online, so stay tuned. Very cool. Do I see that uh, Microsoft is releasing an uh, online version of Office? Like no. a uh, sort of a, to compete with Google Docs, and it's kind of interesting. It's not going to be free. But uh, I just found out Steve got named to the N10 board. Yeah, I didn't. That's I was going to mention that if he was here. Is it official? Yeah. Okay. Really? Yeah. Well, congrats, Excellent. Steve, in your absence. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, that's great news. It was it was great going out there and actually meeting Holly and uh, seeing the organization. And that's that's going to be really great to have Steve on board. It's mm-hmm. just a fabulous group. So. All right. Um, well, that does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests Melanie Mathos, Jamie Holiday, and Mark Davis. You can keep up with the podcast and other webby things by following me on Twitter at twitter.com slash chadnorman or by checking out my blog at blackbaud.com slash webby things. If any of you listeners have feedback, feel free to send us an email at thebodcast at blackbaud.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So until then, I'm Chad Norman, and thanks for listening to the podcast. Slow down. Oh. You're cooking really, really fast. That's all right. I, did, I had a four mountain days this morning. Sorry. <laughs> um. <laughs>